so good to thee. Lord, again today. Amen. It's a privilege every time we are privileged to walk into the sanctuary of the Most High God. Certainly good to be in camp meeting with McDaniel's church family. And uh, missed service last night, heard a lot of good reports, but looking forward to the word of the Lord this afternoon. Praise God. And I was just thinking a moment ago, uh, I just feel blessed today. I really feel blessed today that I can be in God's house and that when a world is walking in darkness, confusion, false doctrine, bound by habits, and going down many paths that lead to disappointment, heartache, and destruction. Yet I find myself in God's house, able to feel His presence, and He's going to talk to me in a little bit. I feel blessed. I said, I feel blessed. Amen. He's more than they ever told me He was. Amen. And you know what? I feel confident that Ever how long it is before he comes back after his bride. Amen. If I'll just keep myself in his hands and allow him to direct my paths, everything's going to be all right. Praise God. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord today? God bless you. Amen, amen, amen. Adam, where art thou? I understand and I hope you do that that question was not a question to find out his geographical location or that God did not know where he was but it was a question that Adam needed to answer to himself not for God's information when God asked a question it's never for his information he always knows the answer he's asking the question for your information if you have ever looked in the time when Jesus was in the flesh and God Almighty was among men he taught many times by asking questions to get people to understand where they were Sometimes the most pertinent question in your life is, where are you? Praise the Lord. And it's a question that sometimes some people do not want to answer. But it's the one that you need constantly to be re-questioned about. Where are you? Praise the Lord. Amen. I want to be in the perfect will of God. How about you? I'm glad you're in church today. That's always a good sign to be in the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Praise the Lord. We're delighted to be here. We appreciate the invitation. We count it a very high honor to be here. And I hope that somehow the Holy Ghost will visit with us in these afternoon services. Praise the Lord. Everybody say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. God bless you. you. may be seated here a moment. Before we get to the word of the Lord, and I'd like to one more time uh, mind my manners and give my appreciation to Brother McDaniel, this church, Brother Bullock, 
and uh, for the honor of the invitation. And I do count it that way. And we're glad to be here. And it's been a while. And as I said last night, there's been a beautiful uh, transformation here. It looks so, uh, so beautiful. It looks like a brand new building. And I really like it. Praise the Lord. But I'm glad that the change is going also on in our lives just as well. Praise the Lord. And that's what is important. Praise God. I uh, said last evening that uh, it is commonly and seen more and more today that there are a lot of Pentecostal jargon said that no longer means anything. The words are identifiable, but yet the doctrine behind them can be very, very out of kilter. Behind the word holiness, there is a doctrine. Behind the word Jesus, there is a doctrine. Behind the word baptism, there is a doctrine. And you cannot just say these words without teaching the doctrines. Praise the Lord. And so many times it is easy to hear many words that are Bible words, and yet they have no Bible doctrine behind them. Praise the Lord. It takes more than just the sounding of words. It takes the doctrine behind them. Every, like I said, every word that we, to holiness, you say that in some churches, and you say, uh, praise the Lord, we believe in holiness, and you can get uh, 99.9% of every so-called oneness church to give an amen. But what a variety sets in the pews. Why? Because the doctrine behind the word is different. Praise the Lord. And so therefore, that's what preaching and teaching is all about. It is to do more than just give religious sounding words, but it is for reproof, for doctrine, for correction in righteousness. Well, praise the Lord. Amen. We had a tremendous night here last night, and I really appreciated Brother Majors' message, and it was beautiful, and I was touched, and I thank God for that message last evening. Praise the Lord. I believe we need to stay with the proven. That's what David, when it came time to outfit him for battle, and that was a life or death situation, he wasn't about to trust it on something that was not proven. Praise the Lord. He knew what God had used before, and that's what he went into battle with. A shepherd's staff, a shepherd's bag, and five smooth stones and a sling. Amen. Because those were proven in his life. Now, I've heard people talk about and make it almost comical about David being outfitted with Saul's armor, about the uh, being too big and too large. It doesn't say anything about that. That's not why David put it off. I think it fit. I think it had been ridiculous to have outfitted him in armor that didn't fit. They wanted him prepared for battle like they knew to go to battle. But David never knew that way of battle. And he said, I have not proven this. And he essayed to go or would not go with what they had dressed him in. And he put it off him because I have not proven these. And he went back to the proven. There's a world out there today trying to dress us in their style. 
because that's the only way they know. But all I can say to you today is, and this may be basic, it may be so simple and so plain, but I know nothing much more than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Well, praise the Lord. And it's tried and proven and it still works. Preaching the gospel still works. Nothing else will work. Praise the Lord. But the unadulterated Word of God. Well, praise the Lord. I understand that some people need incentives sometimes, it looks like. It's a shame, but it ought to be that just the, the Word of God ought to put such a stimulus into or be a stimuli in you to bring such a reaction in your life that nobody has to cheerlead you. But there ought to be a spontaneous eruption for truth. Well, praise the Lord. When the music has died down and when everything else has come down to ground level, the Word of God ought to excite you more than anything else in living for God. Well, praise the Lord. Matter of fact, the music doesn't have much touch without the Word behind it. Well, praise the Lord. Amen. Thank God. But some people, it looks like, needs an incentive sometimes. It reminds me of the story of the fellow that got uh, placed in uh, one of those... Uh, kind of road gang type situations for our misdemeanor and it was uh, picking cotton and uh, they had a quota that he had to fill every day as uh, he came in because that was part of the penalty and he had to show work and it was a uh, whatever I believe they said a 50 pound quota he had to make first day he brought in 30 pounds and they said you can't do that it's 50 bottom line and uh, he, they said, tomorrow you better do better. Next day, brought in 35 pounds. And they said, well, you need a little incentive. So they put him to a whipping post, whipped him real good, let him loose in the patch, and he brought in 200 pounds and two cubby of quails. Praise the Lord. Sometimes folks need a little incentive. Praise the Lord. Let's stand, if you would, please. Thank you, Jesus. I'd like for you to turn today to the book of John. I'm going to get this uh, thing here going before I get. Carried upside down. It looked like no. Praise the Lord. All right. John chapter 1. We appreciate all the brethren here also. Appreciate them coming to help here today. I am in no means qualified to instruct these men, but I am glad that they're here to help us. Praise God. John chapter 1, and reading at the 29th verse. Of that first chapter. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Let me in passing tell you, which we will get to in here in a little bit, but those two phrases, or two parts of that phrase, was astounding. And uh, if you do not understand why, hopefully before we're through here today, you will. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now that sounds like double talk, doesn't it? Uh, let me also say this. 
you can talk back. Say praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You can say, oh me, help, anything but goodbye. Praise the Lord. Amen. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore, I am come baptizing with water. And John bare record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Amen. And the synonymous terms there in the 29th verse is the Lamb of God and the Son of God. Those are not two different things or two different individuals. Those are synonymous terms speaking of the same thing. Praise the Lord. Acts chapter 8 for one more reading here in the 8th chapter and beginning at verse 32. A familiar portion of scripture about the Ethiopian and Philip. And Philip has now obeyed the Lord and has uh, gathered himself in and begin to speak to the Ethiopian and now the place where the Ethiopian was reading in verse 32 the place of the scripture which he read was this he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his ear so opened he not his mouth in his humiliation his judgment was taken away who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. As a lamb before shears dumb, he openeth not his mouth. And the Ethiopian was curious as to whom he was speaking of. And Philip began to clarify who the Lamb was and preached unto him Jesus, the Son of God. Praise the Lord. Amen. I, and if you are coming here today for a particular candlestick and you don't know how to ride with anything else, I beseech you drop those restraints and help me today I came to glorify the Lord praise the Lord and I want to magnify his name here today praise the Lord let's pray and ask the Lord to help us Lord I asked you that you would somehow baptize us with the power of your spirit that we might clearly see the things that are of you and the things that make the way right I ask that you would somehow instill within our hearts the beauty and the glory of the Spirit of Almighty God to give us the revelation of that great and glorious name all over again. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I watched an individual here the other day uh, lovingly and carefully 
taking his pickup truck into the shade and giving it a hand wax, shining, sparkling, and spent probably hours doing so, knowing all the time that in a few days that it would be dusty and muddy all over again. Well, praise the Lord. And uh, you have an option when that takes place, and that is that you can just continue to say, well, it's not worth the effort, and just let it continue to become even more filthy. Or you can stop it somewhere along the line and say, this is as far as I'm going to let this go, and take it back, clean it up one more time, and let it continue it'd be nice if it could continue in that pristine condition but life has a way of getting road film on it it has a way with every passing shower and the dust stirred up by somebody else's tires and just the the down filtering of the things that are in the environment that can dirty but vehicle our lives are much the same it is a wonderful thing to be in that pristine condition. But life has a way of putting road film or life film on your heart. It has a way of with every passing shower and trial and every, somebody else is just dust kicking up. Has a way of getting on you. And every once in a while you have to, you're the one that sets the limit say I can't go any further. I can't drive down life's road looking like this any further. I'm going to take it to the wash. I'm getting the hose back out, getting the brush back out and the wiping rag, and I'm going to get it back to where it ought to be. Well, praise the Lord. Amen. And so here today, one of the things that is so needful in our lives is a correct understanding of who Jesus is. Because without that understanding, let me tell you, you will never desire to be clean it is not enough in your life just to somehow want the preacher to stay off your back. You've got to be wanting to live for God out of the fact that you want to present a body holy before Him simply because of who He is and what He's done for you. I find the error in many people's lives is that they have tried to live in such a way that they are not uh, subscribing to the doctrine of salvation to the point that they want to please God. They're in a legalistic frame of mind and their way of living for God is only do's and don'ts. That's good and fine to know them. But the reason that you ought to live them is because of living for God is a devotion and a matter of heart. We'll praise the Lord. And the misconception, as I said last night, a misdefinition always results in misapplication. And that's the problem with too many people is that they don't have definitions correct in their life. There are people, and I hope that you do not run into them, but I'm sure that probably you have, that believe that so much of what we preach is only a matter of somatics anyway. In other words, it's just a matter of so many words like the man in the Bible that said, if this is a matter of words and names, I'm not going to be a judge of that. This is a matter of names and words. 
because that is what is going to save you, believe it or not, are words and names. Praise the Lord. And there are those that somehow think that Jesus' name baptism is just a matter of somatics, that they see no reason why it has to be done in Jesus' name when Father, Son, and Holy Ghost titles can also be sufficient. There are those that somehow think it's only a matter of semantics. Well, you folks say one God and his name is Jesus. Let me tell you this. Contrary to what some of you might think, Trinitarians will never, at least those that know a little something about their own doctrine, will tell you they believe in three gods. They tell you they believe in one God. But then the distinction begins to break up in this, that that one God is three persons, in one and any way you cut it that's three gods well praise the lord but they say it's only a matter of some acts don't get so carried away about these things but i'm telling you your salvation depends on our clarity of who jesus is and what he's done for you praise the lord and the i was talking to an individual here some time back about the plan of salvation and speaking to them and they do as most uh, of the secular religious world does with the the false doctrine of accept the Lord as your personal Savior which is not found in the covers of this book anywhere praise the Lord amen but they springboard from John into Romans completely leaping over the book of Acts and go to Romans they that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved that's Bible that is Bible praise the Lord but what I asked this individual was do you realize that you jumped over the first instance of that quoting of that verse do you realize that you leap plumb over the first time it was ever used and they were astonished that there was that verse somewhere else in the Bible Matter of fact, it's there three times. Old Testament, twice in the New. Praise the Lord. The Old Testament prophecy by Joel. Amen. And it was his prophecy that Peter is quoting on the day of Pentecost. And it is there when he's talking about the express infilling of the Holy Ghost that he says to them, they that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's in the book of Acts. It's before you get into Romans. And then immediately right after that, they, they were baptized in Jesus' name. And you see exactly what that Roman scripture was all about. It was the calling upon the name in baptism and for the infilling of the Holy Ghost. You've got to take the complete prophecy of Joel. In the last day, saith God, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Talking about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Not shaking a preacher's hand. Not getting your name written down in somebody's little log book. Amen. It always amused me that, that uh, they have the membership role. And uh, the people situated in the pews are not even close to the number of what's in their log book. People that haven't been seen for years are still bona fide members. And when vote day comes, they scour hill and country to try to get some of those renegades back in to vote because they're still on the book. Well, praise the Lord. How dumb 
And somebody said, how dumb can a cluck get? That's pretty dumb. Praise the Lord. But it is more than just somatics. This phrase, by the way, which is not in the Bible, God the Son does not exist in your Bible. Not one time is that expression used. The Son of God, yes, many times. God the Son, never. Isn't that correct? And so it is more than just somatics. It is a matter of salvation. Because if you believe not that I am He, you will die in your sins. Because that is emphatically declared that you must know who Jesus is because without knowing Him, there's absolutely no way that your sins can be remitted. That's why the only place in the New Testament that clearly and distinctly tells you of a remedy for sin and the only place is Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, far, not because, but far, the remission of your sins. Looks like something that is clear, that clear. You know, if I was hunting uh, some remedy for uh, a situation naturally in my life and there was the big bold letters of something for instance a spot removal in the carpet and said this is for the removal of spots I'd be stupid to go get Kool-Aid and pour on it and go get water and pour on it when all the time right there is a bottle labeled with clear letters this is for the removal of it put it on but yet they bypass everything in here when it expressly tells you Father, remission of sins. Well, praise the Lord. And so this is more than just somatics. It is much more than that. You must understand who Jesus is and what he did for you. Praise the Lord. I uh, read an interesting incident one time that started me into this particular Bible lesson about a man that worked in a meatpacking plant many years ago and in this meatpacking plant they processed beef and had done so for since the birth and the organization of that company but as time went on they begin to put other branches on to their meat industry and they begin to also process mutton. This man was in the killing line of that plant. It was part of his job to actually kill the beef and the cattle that were processed in that plant that would eventually go on into other parts of the meat cutting areas. But he was at the first echelon of this situation that was to put to death the animals it was long before a lot of the new modern technology of doing all that and he would physically put them to death he killed many many cattle with his own hands and watched them die and and go home and eat and go to bed and never have a problem but the time that they begin to process mutton brought a change in his life because when that 
cattle were brought and put to death. They kicked. They fought. They resisted. They kicked till there was no life left in them. Blood bespattering as they tossed their head to and fro. But when he began to slaughter sheep, it got to him. Because when he would kill a sheep, it never opened its mouth. It never resisted. It never kicked. It just simply bled till it could no longer stand and then dropped kneeling and over onto its side and died. It died innocently. It died without any resistance. It died without any kicking. And the more he began to kill them, the more it began to bother him. Until he went to his foreman and told him, I've been here all these years working on this killing line. I have never one time made a need to change my situation. But I'm telling you, I can no longer do this job. I go home at night. I cleanse myself. And when I go to bed, I see those sheep dying like they die. I see them dying innocently without any resistance and I wake up at night with, with nightmares about it. I am losing sleep. I am I'm becoming stressed with this situation. I want a change of venue here. I want a change of job. And whatever the story goes on to say about all that was, was whatever was done but he did get a change of situation, but I'd just like to tell you this. The death of a lamb will change your life too. It is the life-changing death of the lamb. If you can ever get a picture of this lamb of God, that's why it was that John gave the pronouncement, Behold the lamb of God. The word behold, I don't know you understand what that means. It means look upon. It is a strong word of not just glance, but get your attention on and stare intently at. Behold the Lamb of God. And I am convinced that there are a lot of oneness Pentecostal people that have yet to see the Lamb that have seen everything but the Lamb of God. I'm telling you, it's not an easy thing to go out of here and go to the world's things uh, when you have seen the Lamb, when you have understood how He died and why He died so that you might be saved. It's not an easy thing to transgress against that Lamb. This death will change your life. Praise the Lord. This man couldn't get this scene out of his mind and there are times that I cannot get the scene out of my mind not of dying sheep in a meat packing plant but Golgotha's hill there's something about that lonely hill called Golgotha and upon there you see the Lamb of God the Son of God hanging innocently for your sin and my sin and not one time did he resist. Not one time did he kick. Not one time did he try to push them away. But he willingly gave himself to that death that you and I might be saved. Hallelujah. On that hill overlooking Jerusalem, another lamb dies. And as his mangled and bloody body hangs there, 
And when it comes time just before that he gives up the ghost. Matter of fact, they did not take his life. He gave it. He gave up the ghost. Praise the Lord. But as he is there and when that it seems that retaliation was in order. When it was that seemingly those that have, have done him such wrong should now pay the penalty thereof. And all God had to do was speak one word and like a cinder, everybody could have been burnt to a crisp upon the face of the earth and done away with. But this lamb opens his mouth and cries out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You better be glad that was spoken. You and I had better be so thankful that those words existed from the Lamb, that they came so clearly and distinctly. He meant asking for forgiveness rather than retaliation. They walked by and shook their heads and said, He saved others. He cannot save Himself. Come down off that cross and we will believe you. Now, do you think those puny nails held Him? Do you think that the impaling was what kept him from coming down and saying, Okay, I'll show you. And step down off the cross and there see them astonished. But he did no such thing. He said, if you're going to believe, you're going to believe after I've hung on this cross. That's how you're going to believe. Praise the Lord. That he could have as God Almighty stepped down off that cross and showed them with such demonstration of power that he was God Almighty in flesh, but he hung there and showed it in a better and more glorious and wonderful way. If he'd stepped down off the cross, we'd still be in our sin. We'd still yet have no way and no remedy to be saved. But he hung there naked and in shame without resistance. Behold the Lamb of God that we might be saved. Praise the Lord. Amen. And this individual was the Lamb of God, the Son of God. God manifest in the flesh is who he was. And the mission of John, where I've read to you, was to identify the Messiah to Israel. And uh, he says, level every hill, fill up every valley, make straight the crooked paths for the second person of the Godhead. No, for our God. Praise the Lord, everybody. You know, I sometimes think it would be a, a sad and pathetic thing if your wife had to beg you to say, I love you. Because when she would have to do that, even though you said it, it wouldn't be worth anything. Now, matter of fact, it would be an insult. Don't you think that's the way it is with the Lord? Don't you think it'd be a shame for people to have to beg you to lift your hands and love him wouldn't it be a shame to have to be always intimidated to praise the Lord I think it ought to be something that freely flows out of your life because you know who he is and because you understand what he did for you no begging you you ought to just love him because you love him but I think that's the crux of the problem too many times. People know some things, but they have never learned about this loving God that gave such a love to you that died that you might be saved. He did not resist. He gave himself willingly. Praise the Lord. Amen. This is the Son of God. And here, John at the Jordan River, he sees Jesus coming 
and makes an astounding statement that have never been heard by the Jewish ear. These Jews know these words. They know lamb and they know the word sin or transgression. But they have never heard the phrase put together like John uses it. John points a distinctive finger at this individual coming down Jordan's bank right now and cries out clearly for all to hear, Behold, the Lamb of God, God's Lamb, praise the Lord, and that taketh away the sin of the world. Two astounding statements are made there. And that is that they knew what a lamb is, but it was always their lamb. It was always their sacrifice. It was always the one that they went and bought and brought to the tabernacle as an expediation for their sin. And then this John says, this is not your sacrifice, but this is God's lamb. This is God's sacrifice. And they look up and expecting maybe when he says that to look yonder to see some furry animal come tripsing down toward the river Jordan. But all they can see in the direction he's pointing is a man. Quizzical, puzzled looks take place. What's wrong with this prophet? What's wrong with this guy? Behold the Lamb of God. And then the next statement was something that sent uh, revulsion through some of those Jews that take away the sin, not of Israel, but of the world. Hallelujah. Never had Gentiles been able to have a lamb sacrificed for them. They couldn't even get into the place where it was done. They were outside the commonwealth. Amen. And John says distinctly, this Lamb of God is not just for Israel, but this Lamb is for the sin of all the world. This is for Gentiles too. Praise the Lord. This is the supreme sacrifice of Almighty God. This Lamb will take away the sin of the world. Oh, I'm so glad that that took place. There's not probably, I know of, one drop of Jewish blood in my veins. But I have been cleansed by the power of the Lamb of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Provision's going to be made, Israel, for more than just you. When this Lamb innocently dies without resistance, it will be for the sin of all the world. Praise the Lord. That's why that there are... Our brother Wheelers today, missionaries. That's why there are brother Ricos, and that's why that there are all kinds of missionaries into this gospel being preached into all the ends of the earth. Amen. That every creature might hear. Praise the Lord. But up to that time, it was just the Jew that thought they had the privilege of the sacrifice. And this was the other word that they couldn't get a hold of. And that was taketh away. Take it away. You see, up to this time, sin was only pushed ahead. Never taken away. In other words, it's like uh, having a credit card that you keep charging on, and they keep saying, you don't have to pay this month, but you still owe us. But somewhere down the line, you're going to get hit with a whole bill. 
and you're going to be in big trouble. That was what it was saying. It literally was that it kept pushing ahead. I'm just not going to put judgment on you this time. But your sins, I'm going to push ahead and keep them ahead of you. But you still, all it's doing is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. But you still owe me. And you're going to owe me bad when the bill comes in and says, pay in full now. Praise the Lord. And so all they knew was with all the blood they had shed of every sacrifice and of every lamb, that it only did one thing. It only gave them a little space of a time of repentance and gave them a time where that their sins were not put against them at the moment. But John makes the clear distinction that this supreme sacrifice will not push sins ahead. He will expedite them. He will remit them. He will take them away. He meant he will clear the board. He will make you clean ever whit. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins are scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Come on, help me praise him a little bit. Hallelujah. Praise God. Oh, I'm so glad that there's a taking away sacrifice. I'm glad that there was a remedy for our sin. Praise the Lord. I'm going to need a little help here. Bible readers, please, Brother Townley, if you would, please, Genesis 3.21, a look at some of the scriptures in the Old Testament promise this supreme sacrifice and of the way of life and death that was to come. And here in Genesis 3.21, we see sin as it came crashing into the life of humanity. And brought about the tragic and terrible fall of man. But there was a promise made even then. Because where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. They sinned, they transgressed. And the penalty was sure. You ask some people the question, what was the first death in the Bible? Most people will answer you, Seth, you're wrong. Seth was not the first death in the Bible. You missed it. The first death is here. Before that time. Genesis 3.21 says this. Yes. Did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothed them? The first death in your Bible. I know that that does not say that the coats of skin were alive. the first death that took place was not by man's hand at all it was by God's hand God out of sight of Adam and Eve 
it makes it clear that this is done somewhere where they do not see because he brings it to them. He brings the remnants of a one-time living, breathing animal that had not sinned, that had not done injury to God, that had not disobeyed him, that had done nothing that was worthy of death itself. But when man sinned, God stepped behind the scene somewhere and took the life of that innocent lamb. Took its life, now dripping with blood. He brings those garments to man and clothes them. They are astonished at what God is doing. Amen. He has now taken the life of the innocent to keep them safe. To somehow protect them, he has taken a lamb innocently and put it to death. And brought the bloody dripping skin. That blood runs down their legs. They look at what they knew was a living breathing animal just a little while ago. But now it says and God brought it. And God clothed them. You get the picture of them just standing there in their sin. And in their transgression. Waiting for judgment to mash them in the ground. But the next scene is that God steps forward. With bloody garments. In their iniquity and in their transgression, he, like some valet dressing royalty, puts the skins about them and dresses them. Hallelujah. I don't know if you get the picture or not, my friend, but I'm telling you that you and I stood in judgment's path, and it was certain and it was sure. We were transgressors and deserved all the penalty that hell had for every one of us. And the only thing that made the difference was why you stood helpless and why you stood where you couldn't do a thing. God stepped behind the scenes and brought an innocent sacrifice and brought that covering and clothed you with his own righteousness and covered you with bloody garments. I thank God for the blood. I thank God for the sacrifice of which inhabited that blood. Praise the Lord. Thank God for the blood. Thank God for the blood. Amen. God supplied it. God brought it. And I'm telling you, it was only a prefiguring of what was to come. Man was helpless. He could never survive by doing something of his own power. But God had to bring it himself. That's why it says in the fullness of God time, God sent forth his son, which was God in flesh. Are some of y'all hearing me? Are, are you hearing the Holy Ghost here today? That somehow that somebody doesn't have to beg you to live for God? Why would anybody have to beg you to live for God when you understand what He did for you? Hallelujah. And to hear Abel's sacrifice, we come to just a little bit later there in the same portion of Scripture, a little further on. Now, again... If Adam and Eve had been clothed with this clothing that knew God had put on them, I just don't think they threw it in the trash can. I believe as those, as they knew each other and conceived and had children, and those uh, boys were born, I believe every once in a while Adam would sit down and tell them boys, you see this? You see this skin? Yeah, Dad. That's the reason mom and dad's still living. Because God wants a sacrifice of blood and of death. That was his sacrifice, boys. Don't ever offer God anything else 
with that. Abel knew that. I'm telling you, Abel was not ignorant of what God required. Abel had his own, or Cain did rather, his own ideals about what ought to be done. And when it came day to sacrifice to the Lord, Abel brought the firstling of the flock. Just like Daddy said. Bloody death of an innocent lamb he brought to the Lord. But Cain brought the fruit of the field. It might have been uh, very prolific and very good. But there was no blood and there was no death. And it wasn't God's way. And when it was that it said, and God had favor or recognition to Abel's but not Cain's. I'd like to ask you this question. How did they know God accepted one and not the other? I believe God let the fire fall and consume Abel's sacrifice. Cain stood completely untouched. God said, no thanks. But the major said last night, you can't improve on the, the, that which God has made perfect. And that's exactly right. You can do all the thinking you think you want to do. But God's only going to accept one way. Because how many of your kin folks think it's right or what they think? And how many people vote on it? It's still wrong if it's not God's way. Much as you convince yourself and justify yourself, it doesn't make any difference. It's still God's way or no way at all. Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And by the way. On in that scripture there, just to show you, and I know that there might be controversy over these scriptures in Roman point, I'll tell you what I think, what I believe that it's talking about. Here, when Cain has done wrong, God tries to talk to him. Aren't you glad for that? Instead of God just, again, rubbing him out like some reproachful roach that runs across the floor, he speaks to him and said, Why art thou downcast? If you would do what you know to do, everything will be all right. But if not, sin crouches at the door. Now, I've heard uh, different interpretations of that. But I'll tell you what I think and what I believe. I believe God was telling him that, Cain, there is a sin sacrifice at your door. If you'd push back the flaps of your tent and step out, kneeling in the sand in front of your tent is a lamb, a sin sacrifice. And if you would take that and do what's right, you'll be accepted. Because that's the only sacrifice I will ever honor. It's my sacrifice. An innocent lamb to die for the guilty. It's my way. I don't want your way. I don't want your thoughts. I don't want your time of doing things. I'm telling you, this is my way. And if you, there is sin laying at the door right now, go take it. I provided it. It's there for you. Now sacrifice it and live. Or go against it and pay the penalty. Too bad Cain didn't take it. How about you? I'm telling you, at your tenth door today, the sacrifice exists. All you got to do is take out and say, Yes, Jesus. 
I want that sacrifice of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Amen. And in obedience, take it and repent of your sin and be baptized in Jesus' name and God will fill you with the Holy Ghost. That's exactly what John is saying. Behold the Lamb of God. Amen. And he said, this is the one of whom you see the dove descending light upon. It is he that baptizes with the Holy Ghost. Amen. It's he that will baptize with the Holy Ghost. Trinitarians trying to tell you it's somebody else. But it says clearly, the Lamb of God is a baptizer with the Holy Ghost. Praise the Lord. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. And then moving on a little bit further as we see again an incident of the prefiguring of that great supreme sacrifice this time to Mount Moriah and Abraham and Isaac. You know that story, don't you? I guess not. Do you? Everybody ever hear of Abraham and Isaac? Praise the Lord. Please save me a lot of time. Abraham and Isaac. Prepared for sacrifice, they went to the mountain. Isaac knows and has seen dad do sacrifice before to God. He knows what it takes. And as they get to the side of the mountain and begin to go up, Isaac now begins to see that there is a missing element. Father, here's the wood. There's the fire. See the knife on your side for the sacrifice. But where is the lamb? Abraham prophetically speaking says, God will provide himself a sacrifice. Hallelujah. I know that meant just in a few moments, but it also meant in time also. That God would provide himself a sacrifice. Praise the Lord. And they went up to that mountain and there, uh, and by the way, Isaac is not some little toe-headed kid about this tall. No doubt he's probably in his 20s by this time. He is a robust young man. He's not a toddler. He's not a baby. Most of the pictures I've ever seen drawn of Abraham and Isaac is always a baby or a young boy. That's not what he was. Amen. And Abraham is an aged man at this time. Very aged. Amen. And it could easily be that Isaac could overpower his father any day of the week with his own natural strength. But what happens is when he sees what Abraham has in mind, he consents to that. There's a Bible study there for you. Praise the Lord. About obedience and submission to the will of God. Amen. But anyway, he gets Isaac upon the altar. The wood is there. The the fire is ready. Amen. The sacrificial knife is now poised and is lifted over Abraham's head. And as he begins to bring it down with the determination to do what God has said. At that moment in time, something restricts his wrist. In midair, the swing is stopped. Isaac is looking up at the point of judgment coming down and is stopped. He was coming down to take his life, coming down to eradicate his life and cease his living in this world. But somewhere, something has stopped the hand with the judgment knife. Now he looks at his father, and his father is 
not looking at Isaac, but his eyes are drawn somewhere else. And he hears the voice, Behold, Abraham. Hallelujah. And Abraham turns to look and sees the ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Amen. God set that up. Amen. And now Isaac watches because he is tied to the horns of the altar. Amen. He watches as his dad now. Amen. Stays his hand from the knife and walks over and takes a innocent ram that is there provided and comes back and cuts the cords that restrain Isaac to the altar and lifts him up and sets him aside and in his place goes a ram. And now the knife descends without stopping and there is a quivering and there is blood and there is death and then there is a fire and then there is smoke and Isaac stands there in startled awe and watches an animal die where he one time was. Amen is a picture of where you and I were friend as the judgment hand of God was coming down he himself stopped it and said behold the lamb Somebody's got to beg you to live for that kind of God. Somebody's got to beg you to worship that kind of God. I think not. I'm not here to cheerlead you. I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ is worthy of your praise. (laughs) Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. The death of the Lamb was the main ingredient in the Sacrifice in the Passover. In Isaiah 53, by the way, again, it's strange to me that individuals can't connect Isaiah 9, 6 and Isaiah 53 together. It's not two different personages that talked about here. The same person of Isaiah 9, 6 is the same one in Isaiah 53. Oh, yes, it is. Amen. Isaiah 9, 6. Amen. That beautiful, wonderful voice of the prophet sends its voice out with clarity about who this one is. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, not a Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Praise the Lord. He is the same one that is in Isaiah 53. It says he was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Who's that talking about? It's talking about wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. It's the same individual. God was manifest in the flesh, seen of angels, justified in the spirit, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in the glory. God came in flesh as a supreme sacrifice. God will provide himself a sacrifice. Praise the Lord. Amen, amen. Praise the Lord. And what God promises, He also performs. Amen. Galatians 4 says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son. And Trinitarians say, See? Amen. There's the Father sending the Son. It says, God, by the way, sent forth His Son. Praise the Lord. And that's exactly what it means. And now for the first time in all human history, a fleshly body comes forth, not of the seed of man, but of the will of God. There is no blood that courses in the veins of this babe that is of Adam's, but it is the blood of the Lamb. 
righteous, holy, without sin, no guile was found in him. Amen. The flesh is of that womb. It is of man. It is natural. Therefore, he is the Son of God and the Lamb of God. He is those things synonymously. He, are, he is the, the flesh that God inhabited. He is the very flesh that God himself designed to clothe himself in. He came because men were standing in sin and transgression. The judgment hand of night was coming down with surety and man was destined to be lost forever. But God stayed judgment. And in that interval of time, he stepped down out of glory and robed himself in flesh and said, I'm going to go to the cross that you might be saved. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And that unresisting, innocent death is what changed my life. Praise the Lord. That's why beautifully this Bible is so put together that his birth was like it was. He was king of kings, lord of lords, the prince of peace. Yet when it came time for him to be born naturally from the womb of Mary, now since he's God, he can set situations in order as it pleases him. He could have had the finest room in Jerusalem for Mary to have been given birth. Couldn't he? Sure he could. But in his own will, in his own plan, when it came time for the birth of the Lamb of God, Look where she ends up. Not in an inn. Not even in under a tree. But importantly, very importantly, in a manger. The birthing place of lambs. And in that manger is going to come forth the Lamb of God. What will be born in this manger? And let me tell you a little something here. As you can well tell, I'm a country boy, and I know this, that all these pretty little pictures that you see of mangers are probably far from what it really looked like. There's flies buzzing. There's a smell of animals. There's dust in the air. It is a place so humble and a place so beneath man. It is a place for animals. And that's where Mary is taken by the will of God to give birth. Her and Joseph may not be able to understand. I can see Joseph now trying to tell Mary, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I can't find a room. I would somehow that somehow we could get into a decent place. But God says, this is where I want. Lambs don't get born in rooms in the inn. Lambs don't get born in places in in the high estates of men. But it's in a manger where the Lamb of God is going to be born. Hallelujah to God. Can you lift your hands and love Him here today for just a few moments? Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. And I believe that's also why that the first visitors to the spectacle of this birth were not the wise men. Matter of fact, the wise men come many, 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 many months after the birth of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. But the first ones that were there that day, that day, behold, this day, hallelujah, is born unto you in the city of David a Savior 
a sacrifice, amen, for sin. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And announcement didn't come to governors. It didn't come to kings. It didn't come to important people. You know, it came to some shepherds watching their flock on a hillside. Amen. The shepherds tending their sheep came the announcement. Behold, the Lamb of God is born this day in the city of David. Amen. In adjacent to the, the Jerusalem and the, the area there, amen, the shepherds also, not only just for their own livelihood and flock of uh, selling them for uh, fur or for the shearing thereof and so forth, there were also shepherds that kept flocks for temple sacrifice. That, see, somewhere they had to buy those that were required. And these shepherds made business and livelihoods out of raising sacrificial lambs. I think that's what these shepherds were. They're tending little sheep that will somebody will come and buy and say, I need a sacrifice for the temple. But this one, when the announcement came was, hey, fellas, you boys been watching over temple sacrifices? Come here. I want you to see the sacrifice I want you to see the Savior I want you to see he who is the supreme sacrifice behold the Lamb of God God's sacrifice that a little while amen in reality boys you're going to be out of business because there's one that's going to come that will take away the sin of all the world there is a supreme sacrifice of God Almighty that is sure and it is one to be the Lamb of God hallelujah oh God is wonderful and mighty and glorious and great and greatly to be praised what a shame that you hold back in worship when God is so worthy hallelujah amen amen and so shepherds came that day and saw the lamb of God praise the Lord Jesus was not a victim of the cross he was a volunteer praise the Lord they took counsel to kill him many times one place he just seems to disappear. Every time they took cans to kill him. You think he ran because he was scared or he deterred that? The reason that he did not allow them to do it was he was going to give himself. He said, you can't take my life. I lay it down. But I'm going to tell you this too. If I lay it down, I can also take it back up. You know what I see every time I read that? Just like me taking off his coat right here. I can take this garment off and I can lay it down. But I also have the power to go back, pick it up, and put it back on. And that's just what I'm going to do, boys. Hallelujah. At the cross, I'm going to lay it down. And I'm going to get out of it. And he gave up the ghost. But in three days and three nights, God goes back and slips on the coat one more time. Hallelujah. And he ascended far above all principalities and powers. 
Amen. Set at liberty those that were bound and gave gifts unto men. Oh, thank God he rose victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Because he, you hear me? He's not the second person of the Godhead. In the first place, I wouldn't have not one ounce of respect for one father in this building that would send your own flesh and blood son to die when maybe it was your obligation to do so. I would think you were a rat. I would think you were a scoundrel. And that's not what God did. He came himself. He came by himself. And for you and for me and robed himself in flesh and willingly, unresistingly gave himself for me and you. Praise the Lord. Amen, amen. Pilate said, which had to be said, I find no fault in him because it had to be pronounced over the sacrifice of a lamb that there was no flaw by those that officiated over the death which in the normal way of doing things would have been the priesthood. And they said, okay, I find no fault with this one. This one can go for you. Pilate stands and tells the whole nation, which, by the way, he is a Gentile, and says, I find no fault in him. And he said, let me tell you something. I, I have the power. I can release to you Jesus or Barabbas. Which one of you folks want me to let loose? This insider of rights and this murderer are this one of whom I find no fault. And unbelievably, they cried out, give us the murder. Let him go back into our streets. Let him go back and endanger our children and our lives. Let that scoundrel loose again. But crucify Jesus. As a lamb is led before his shears, dumb he openeth not his mouth. One of the most beautiful pictures in the Bible is when those Roman guards want him to exact a little fun with their captor, captive. Set him down. And he said, oh, so you're a prophet, are you? And they mocked him. They put a bag over his head. They said, let's see how much of a prophet you are. Those big burly Roman soldiers would double up their fist and one of them would smack the bag, punch, and then they'd say, okay, prophet, which one of us just hit you? He could have told them the number of hairs on their head, their genealogy from the very foundation. But the only answer they got was a trickle of blood that ran from beneath the bag. He opened not his mouth. They say, oh, so you're puzzled, are you? Well, let's try it again. They punch him again. His visage and his visage was so marred like no other man. They beat him unmercifully. And that was God Almighty in sitting there. All he had to do was make one whisper, be gone forever. And they would have evaporated like mist. But he said nothing. No kicking, no resisting. Other men that would have been captured by them would have been cursing, saying, untie me and I'll show you dirty dogs how to fight. But this one, don't ever mistake it for being effeminate by any shot. This was a man, a real man. Hallelujah. 
And then after they had their fun with that, they extracted the bag. And said, okay, you can't tell us that. We thought you were a prophet, so you're not a prophet. Then you must be a king. You say you're a king. Well, kings need a little bit of, of uh, dressing up. And so they went and got a garment of purple and went out in the bushes there. And they broke down a reed and jerked it out of the ground. And they also took some heavy, that little short Roman sword and hacked away some thorns that sprang uh, close to a tree and wrapped them into a crown. And brought them back and put the garment on him and put the reed in his hand and pressed down the crown on his head. And then got down and bowed before him and said, Hail, king! And all he does is look at them. Not one kick, not one resistance. But that was not just a king. That was the king of kings. The Lord of lords. And you say, oh, those dirty scoundrels. Let me tell you something. You did just as bad. I said, you did just as bad. You did just as bad by mocking in your life, living without God, living the way. But let me tell you, when he could have spoken at any time in your transgression and burnt you to a crisp and put you in a red-hot hell and had you there forever, amen, rather than that, you know what he did? Amen, he unresistingly went to Calvary that you might be saved. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, this death will change your life. I'm telling you, the death of this lamb will change you forever. Praise the Lord. I want you to stand with me here today. Praise the Lord. Behold the lamb. Behold the lamb. Stare intently. Catch your gaze on him. Behold the lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. If you're here today and you have never understood how much Jesus Christ loved you to the place rather than bring you swift and sure judgment of which you and I were so worthy of yet the hand of judgment that law which said, He, the soul that sinneth, shall surely die. Grasp in midair. And beneath the point of judgment, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, took your place. Now somebody's got to beg you to come to church, beg you to live right, beg you to worship, beg you to pay your tithes. Beg you to be faithful to him. Beg you to love him. Is it such a chore to talk to him? Behold the Lamb. Fix your gaze intently. As the serpents bit those people in a fiery death went throughout the camp, Moses cried out to God, Help! We're all going to die this. God said quickly, make a serpent of brass. Put it on a pole and lift it up. And everybody that looks their own shall live and not die. To be bit by that sure death of the serpent and no blood was coursing now with poison. 
but up ahead somewhere stands the figure of a silhouette if I can just look I can live behold the lamb somebody want to see him here today somebody want to live for him don't die in your sin sir when there's a remedy made for you if you'll repent of your sin and be baptized in Jesus name I assure you of this one thing here today he will fill you with the Holy Ghost that's not on my authority that's on the authority of this Bible this blood drenched sacrifice sacrifice of Jesus Christ will save you say saying right now I wonder if there's anybody in this building here today from those that are unacknowledgeable of what I'm telling you and do not know it in the fullness of what I'm saying and maybe some lukewarm saints in this building here today that need a refreshing of Calvary if you do I'd step from where I'm at unashamedly and said behold I want to look one more time at the Lamb of God would you lift your hands right now and love the Lord as they sing how about you today friend Why will you die? Why will you go on? Don't be a cane that offers your own way. Do it God's way. Behold the Lamb of God.